Hello, and welcome to What is Innovation, the podcast that explores the reality of a word in danger of losing its meaning altogether. I'm your host, Jared Simmons, and I'm so excited to have Joris Henson on the show today. Joris is the co-founder and co-lead of the Deutsche Bank API program. He sees himself as an entrepreneur and is dedicated to exploring how open banking and embedded finance can improve people's lives. Yours, welcome to the show. Yours, I am so excited for the conversation today. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm very happy for being here today. Great. Well, why don't we dive right in? What, in your mind, is innovation? I think innovation is evolution. It's about building on existing products to create new value, be it incremental, be it disruptive. And at the same time, it's evolution on the inside. For instance, in my case, I work at a bank. So innovation also means an evolution of the organization, of how we do things, approach things, roles, responsibilities, of how we build new products for our customers. Mm. Oh, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. So it's not just the innovation of the products themselves, but it's sort of, I worked at P&G for a while and A.G. Lafley, the CEO, used to talk about innovating how we innovate. Mm -hmm. And that's what came to mind as you were describing the sort of internal evolution that supports the external evolution of things. Yeah, exactly. Because when I was preparing for this podcast and I was thinking about potential topics, I was thinking, I read this good book in, in my early innovation years about how to grow from within mm. and how to build up the capacity on the inside. And I think it makes a lot of sense because when I look back on our journey, I can see how certain elements appear to be success factors. And it's not that you can have a small team of innovators that will change the future of the companies, but it's rather something like a muscle you have to train inside the organization across different areas of the bank. Mm, okay. Okay. So tell me more about the difference between it being sort of a, a state of being and a muscle to be trained. Yeah, maybe I, I start with an example. So in our case, we have started an API program to expose data, financial data to partners that can build products for their customers or our customers. So by the time we started, that it was in 2016, there was a regulation hmm. about to push banks to open, well, a limited amount of data. And we said, well, that's a huge opportunity for us. So let's dive into this and let's expose more data. Let's build, we call it premium APIs so that companies out there can build new products. Hmm. And by the time we started, well, we thought it's a good idea, but we were a few people. And the, for the rest of the organization, it sounded as if, what do they talk about? We used like terms like open banking, bank as a service. Mm. And there was this thinking that we suggest that we open the data center of the bank and every partner can walk in, do and use the data in whatever context. But that was not what we suggested. And we realized early on, we will need different partners, a network within the bank to make it happen. For instance, you need people on the legal side or you need data protection, compliance. You need different IT units because it's at the end, yes, APIs are about technology, but you also need to have processes in place to onboard partners to enter into a partnership. Right. So I think 
what I mean with training the muscles that doesn't happen overnight, that everyone is a fan of your idea of this new innovation, but it's rather a slow process. Right. So in our case, for instance, it helped that we had a, an internal hackathon. So we invited people, people could see we are not suggesting something very super crazy, but they could see that after two days, their results, they got excited because it was something new, at least back then, hackathons were quite uncommon still. Right. And by the time the mindset of the people started to change, they started to see, all right, what you suggest is actually a new business model, something we can build on top of technology. And that is offering us as a financial institution, a new way to approach our customers. And if I look at meetings nowadays that we have with data protection, for example, they're totally different from the beginning. And this is what I mean, right? Right. It's training. And by the time you have more examples, more and more people start to realize, all right, this is something beneficial. And right now I would say we're in a time where people perceive it as a real chance to enter new fields in business with an API and become more active. I see. Okay. So that's a great analogy. The early start is difficult, just like training a muscle. It's difficult. It's painful. But <laughs> as you continue to push through that, you develop some muscle memory and people start to understand the process and they start to see the results. And what I really love about your example is there's always that window if you extend that training metaphor between when you do the work and when you see the results. Mm, true. It's clear you used a couple of things that I think are critical for innovation. One is transparency and the other is clarifying language. Mm -hmm. Like if you just left it at open banking. Yes. That would have left people to imagine what you meant. Just like you said, oh, they just want to throw our doors open and share our trade secrets mm -hmm. and share our clients' data and all these other things. Mm -hmm. And that's not what it is. And so clarifying that language, meeting people where they are, using terminology that they can connect to yeah. is so important. I can imagine such a key part of the story you shared. And then the, the transparency around the hackathon and showing people this is what this is. This is how it works. Come participate. Come be part of it not doing things behind closed doors in a black box. It's such an important thing as well. It seems like those things might have been key to how you got from the initial resistance to the buy-in that you have today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are quite right. So explaining things is super important, I think. Mm -hmm. And I even start to think that, okay, we, we started with PowerPoint slides in the beginning, maybe hundreds of them. <laughs> right. They seem to be so nice at some point in time, you get so frustrated. And then with the first results of the hackathon, you could see, okay, I guess that's basically maybe a milestone, right? Because if people can see something and have an app, they can actually use. And then they see, so for instance, when we had the market launch, the result of an external hackathon was the first actual implementation using financial data. Mm. And it was a partnership with a Frankfurt-based startup called Finance Guru. And they take your transaction data, give you a nice overview give you hints of where to save money or maybe switch or cancel a contract. Right. So by downloading this application, people started to think, ah, right, it's actually not a bad thing. It helps me because I'm at the end of the day, I'm a bank customer too, right? Right. And so this change of perspective, I guess that is also super important. Oh. And another thing that comes to my mind is 
I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book of Gifford Pinchot about entrepreneuring, but he uses this term corporate immune system. Mm, yes. <laughs> well, you enter with the, the system with a great idea and then it kind of reacts as a, ah, this is changing too much, right? Yes. yes. So by slowly yes. developing something, right, and, and slowly step by step. So I think that's another very important learning. It's not this big bang approach, right? So I guess mm. it's more realistic to perceive innovation at something you do, like a, rather a marathon. Yes, yes. Because sometimes also when you train, you can lose the motivation, but you need to do baby steps and accept. It's a lot of baby steps. And by the time you approach a big milestone, then you see the difference. Right. And what I believe is very important for this corporate immune system is also storytelling. I guess that's another key ingredient I discovered as very important. This is perhaps why a hackathon is a good example, because... If you look back at how people were used to a certain kind of communication, it was not really fun, right? Mm -hmm. So at one point in time, you could see there were all kind of posters at the elevator. It gets boring, right? Right. The way something looks gets boring. So we changed look and feel. We came up with this idea of, okay, like this Emmett Brown from Back to the Future. We put it up there, this whole future theme. <laughs> yeah, and. Yeah it kind of resonated with people. And then we had this idea that he has this favorite quota that we kind of censored. And there was discussion who you're going to see some serious. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then people were discussing, did senior management decide to censor it? Right. Right. So it kind of helped that people talk about, and then suddenly we received applications from all around the world for this hackathon. Wow. And I guess that's another key ingredient to perceive that, changing something can be fun and i want to be part of and, and change this dynamic of the motivation of people got it got it yeah i love that and what it highlights to me is the difference between being professional and being corporate mm -hmm. and i think people now are so accustomed to things being customized to them and functional and still relatable in every other aspect of their lives mm -hmm. apple's products are highly polished, very professional, but they're not corporate, but they, they speak in a language that people resonate with and understand. Yes. And I feel like the hackathon and the way you talked about the quote and everything, mm -hmm. that taps into that same sort of eye for professionalism and polish yes. and things being done the right way, but not with this sort of corporate veneer mm -hmm. thrown over the top of it to say, okay, well, we're this big stodgy company and this is how we do it. I think this is a great example of teasing apart. Yes, you can do things in a high quality professional way and they don't have to be stuffy and corporate. Yes, absolutely. I'm very happy that back then I worked with a colleague who used to be a designer <laughs> and he had this eye of, for perfection. And really, ah. I think that makes the difference. Yes, yes. Because it's really this difference that how people approach things and to have this mindset of, okay, we shape something cool together. I guess that basically helps. Yes. And it's different. And it's this movement you create. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so perfect. The together movement, those sorts of things. That's the way things develop a life of their own today and how you get buy-in. And the storytelling you highlighted is so central to that as well. There's just no substitute for a good story. And I think back to that corporate versus professional kind of distinction, mm -hmm. I think the corporate world says we tell stories to the outside world. 
You know what I mean? We tell mm-hmm. stories to our shareholders. We tell stories to our consumers. And I think the big miss up until design thinking and some other things started to make their way in, inside the corporations mm-hmm. was that you have stakeholders and you have customers, consumers in your building. Mm. You have to speak to them, win them the same way you go out to try to win the external stakeholders. Absolutely. And that's what I take from your story. It's the importance of the internal stakeholder. And you can see it in many ways. I mean, not only for a certain event like a hackathon, but also if you look at something like when you do build APIs, you need to have a good internal developer portal, for instance. If you look at how websites are built for developers, oftentimes can be pretty crappy and simple, right? So no one enjoys working with this. Mm. So I guess it's also important to give people a good set of tools to have a good-looking portal, right? Because people want to work with internal APIs, maybe in the same way they get treated by external companies who treat developers as an important part of their community. Right. I guess I've heard this in one of the recent podcasts here is that developers are artists, right? And I guess that's something important to realize. Yes. You want to treat them well because they, at the end, build a cool product and they make a difference, right? So I guess it goes all the way from hackathon communication to to the tools that you have to make sure it looks professional and it attracts people in the same way they would expect it from the outside world. Ah, so well said. I hadn't thought about developers as that sort of, I don't know, how would you describe the role of a developer in this value chain to someone who's not familiar with how fintech works? Mm. Yeah, I think independently of fintech, I mean, if you look at APIs, Mm -hmm. APIs are a way to make sure you do not have to deal with the complexity of a system, right? Like in the same way you would go to a restaurant, you order something from the kitchen, Mm. And you do not care about the processes in the kitchen, the ingredients, where they are sourced from, right? Right. So in this analogy, the developer would be someone working in the kitchen, is an expert in compiling different data sources, making sure things are getting reused, right? Whereas you would have maybe a chef translating to a product manager, making sure there's a good idea of a new dish in terms of this is a product we want to ship to the customer. Right. Those are the ingredients. This is the product vision. So I guess the role of the developer is to work very closely with the product manager, ideally in the same team, if you look at it from an HR organization perspective. Sure. Yeah. And by delivering those APIs, different pieces, you can create new financial services. And the same would be true for any other industry. Mm. I guess it's important to have those different Lego bricks you build on the inside, you can reuse in different regards. Right. Not sure if that's still too abstract. No, it's great. It's super helpful. And in my consumer packaged goods world, it makes me think of intermediate distributors where you may go to a store down the street to buy something, but it didn't go from the plant that made it to that store. Mm -hmm. It went to another place where it was parceled out to go to somewhere else, where it was parceled out to go to the store down the street. Mm-hmm. And good companies do a lot of thinking about how to make those intermediate distributors, their lives easier, mm-hmm. seeing them as part of the value equation. And how can I treat them like a customer or like a, a key stakeholder in this? Mm-hmm. Because the easier it is for them, the better they are at doing their part. Right. The less likely it is for us to not have 
product on the shelf or the less likely it is for us to deal with a price increase. So the developer role, just from my outside looking in, mm-hmm. kind of sounds like one of those internal steps in the value chain of delivering this to the end user that a good company recognizes as important and meaningful to make sure that they have a positive experience. Yes. And I think also one reason why it's so important is that you have a different target group out there. Because if you look at fintechs, for instance, they build the product for the end customer. Ah, okay. So they get data in terms of APIs that have building blocks they can integrate in their solutions. So this building block has to be described in a meaningful way. It has to be designed so that anyone can understand it. Mm-hmm. So you do not want to have specific fields in there that only you on the inside can understand, but you have to describe them in a way that they are quickly to use and understand. And all of this is part of the role of developers, not only other roles involved, but serving this target group of other developers and other product managers out there. I think that maybe translates to your example too, where you have a new value chain Mm -hmm. and not necessarily end customer directly. Right. Oh, that's very helpful. I feel like I understand this a lot better now. So thank you for that. So I noticed in your definition of innovation, you use the word evolution Mm -hmm. and not revolution (laughs) or transformation. And I think you know where I'm going with this question. But a lot of what you hear about innovation is it has to be transformational. It has to be world-changing, new to the world, blah, blah, blah. I love that you started with the word evolution. And I wonder if you could unpack that for us, why you chose that word. Yeah, I was actually thinking about using the word transformation and decided against Yeah, yeah. Because I find that if when I look at all the examples that you see in the, maybe in the financial world, like finances, what new products exist. I guess it's really this slow evolution where you can see step-by-step things change. Mm. For example, this app I mentioned that provides customer with a different view and understanding for their financial portfolio. Mm -hmm. Or a different example could be in the corporate world, we have customers requesting us access to their own data. So through the API, they can integrate their bank account into their own process, right? Right. That helps to speed up processes and help them to automize and streamline something, enabling them to spend less time on things that is not their core business. Mm. So you see, like, this is all something that changes gradually and makes things better, creating value. It's not this explosion of new things necessarily. But nevertheless, if you ask those customers, they are super happy and it's something They even requested from us where they got really active. So it's good to see that this outside world, how they are reacting to the API and to what we start to offer. I guess it's also a very honest realization I had in the years of doing something completely new. I realized I have to be modest. I think it's not this big thing that is happening. Surely transformation programs help. It almost feels like a wave that you can serve for a certain amount of time. But the complexity of grown IT system is a big complexity, right? Uh-huh. In order to streamline processes and make them fully digitized, I mean, that's an effort. And then you're back to the point that you need different people from the organization. You need to have priorities on roadmaps. You need to have support from different stakeholders. So that takes time. And I guess 
by framing it as an evolution, I think it relieves you from the burden <laughs> to reinvent something maybe overnight, <laughs> but to right. continuously like motivate yourself to do, well, yeah, maybe it takes time, but I will not give up and it will work, right? Right. I see this change in the organization. It's moving in the right direction and also keep this positive momentum for yourself. I guess that's also something super important when dealing with new businesses and innovation. Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned momentum because that is key. And storytelling is a huge part of that, I think. Making sure you're telling the story of your progress along the way and keeping the end goal in front of folks. I love the way you kind of frame that up. The thing I love about you using the word evolution is it doesn't exclude transformation. To me, transformation is just a really fast evolution, right? Hmm. But it leaves room for exactly what you described. You can do 80% of it in one initiative over 18 months or six months or 12 months or whatever. But mm -hmm. that last 20% is as important as that first 80%. And that's going to be users submitting tickets to say, oh, this thing doesn't work. Consumers coming back and saying, oh, this is nice, but... I wish this button were over here, or I wish I could have access to that. And that is what I'm hearing in your story. Exactly. And that's also a mindset change again, because people within the organization were so used to deliver projects and not products. And that's a huge difference, right? Mm. Because in a project, you would deliver something, ship something to the customer and job done, right? But on the product side, it's exactly <laughs> uh, what you just said. You want feedback, you want to change things, kill features, reinvent others, right? So it's a constant process back and forth. And I guess that's a completely new mindset. Yeah. And again, an evolution, maybe. It is. And the other thing that comes to my mind, because you've mentioned design thinking earlier, is that I believe there's this maybe negative experience with innovation. Because, you know, those big programs where they promise a big transformation, then you have this approach of you do design thinking in the beginning to kick off things <laughs> and then it kind of slows down and right. then it disappears <laughs> but i feel like if you see people in the organization who have seen certain initiatives fading out quite often so they start to lose trust in innovation and one thing i think is key to move ideas ahead is to have trust in particular of management right so that's another reason for framing things as an evolution and do not over-promise things to the people you work with, but to be also honest about the journey and the consequences, right? Yes. Because I feel like it's already difficult to find this entrepreneurs that maybe will join the story. So, yeah. It is. Thank you for bringing that up because it's not talked about often, but when we draw that narrow box, and I say we because I'm part of the innovation community, when we draw this narrow box around the design thinking or the brainstorming session or the three-day offsite or the two-day hackathon or whatever, when that's what we call innovation, mm -hmm. it does. It really doesn't ring true to people who know what living product and service development on a day-to-day -day basis know. People are very smart. And coming in and saying, we're going to transform your entire way of working in 48 hours or in 72 hours, or we're going <laughs> to bring the leadership into a room. We're going to get out, you know, the top person from every group. 
go off site for three days and do this brainstorming session and it's X, Y, Z and all our problems are going to be solved. Hmm. It always felt to me when I was new and young in my career, it always felt like an insult to my intelligence and the work I was doing. If you think, (laughs) you know, you can get in a room for two days and figure out how to launch this product six months faster, go for it. Like, please do, but we'll be here launching the product while you're doing that. And so it's an important conversation to have because it excludes people and excludes steps from the definition of innovation. Mm -hmm. And the execution and delivery of innovation is every bit as important as the ideation and structure of it. And I'm so glad you brought that up. That's one of my soapbox, (laughs) one of my soapbox items. Yeah, because also if you think of people who start their career in any industry and they are interested in innovation, I guess we have to remove this perception that it's quick and easy. And they also have to realize it requires a certain mindset yourself. I mean, if you want to pursue a new product or new innovation, right? I guess you also have to make sure you equip yourself with a mindset. Yes, I will have to deal with processes within the company. I have to accept those processes exist in order to change things. Uh You have to know how things operate, work with people on a very detailed level. It cannot be done overnight. It will be rewarded, but (laughs) pull on your marathon shoes (laughs) and, and make this part of a habit. Yes. Because otherwise you get frustrated. And I see this a lot with young people joining, want to move things ahead, right? It's very frustrating. And I guess it's not realistic to expect from a huge organization to change overnight. So that would be definitely an advice I would have for people starting out on an innovation journey to accept this reality. Yeah. It's so important. And it doesn't mean that it won't work. Yeah. And I think there's this sort of right and wrong mindset that crept into the innovation world at some point. When it got named and structured, it suddenly became this, I can get a PhD in this Mm -hmm. now. So that means I know what this is and you don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that kind of built these walls in between people. Mm -hmm. If you want to do innovation, you need to bring in an innovation expert. But the Wright brothers... I would consider them innovation experts and the education they had was not school-based. So I think it's very important what you're highlighting. And it's important for people to understand you're coming out of school with an education, but that doesn't mean you have everything you need to do the work. It's just a foundation. It's a starting point, but you've got to gather more information. Yeah. And I guess the good news is it's also fun to learn those things. It's so much fun. (laughs) And in particular, if you look... In the whole space of building products, this is fun too, right? Compared to projects where you have the different phases, a product and having real customers, it can be very rewarding talking to them and building something you can actually touch and show to people. And, you know, like this super rewarding. Yes. Yes. I want to frame it more positively now. Like, feel like, otherwise. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you doing that because it, it is. It's so important to keep both sides of the coin there because. That moment when you hand someone something and they interact with it and their eyes light up or they say, oh, man, this is exactly this is, you know, whatever. The moment you see or hear from a user positive feedback about something you put two, three, five years of your life into. That's why people keep coming back to it. You wonder when you hear the horror stories about having to push rocks uphill from an innovation standpoint as entrepreneurs. But there is that payoff and there's nothing like it being able to kind of create something from from nothing and have people say, this is useful and I will give you money for it. 
And I like your example about the Wright brothers because exactly this is like nowadays we always have a new term for anything, like a new book, like we have to have a new name for a new innovation method. But at the end of the day, that's not the point. And I wonder if it's not even easier to push an innovation if you do not mention the different methods. You can use them. You should apply them silently, maybe. And this was also like the Ten Commandments of Gifford. One is stay under the radar as long as possible, right? Do not present a prototype too early. Just make sure you have something. Otherwise, you will be eaten by the copy <laughs> moon system. And all those things, I think, fall nicely in line, right? So undercover work. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And it really does make a big difference from an innovation standpoint. The language you use, back to what we were talking about early on, inclusive language versus exclusive language makes a big difference. The way I talk about it is, If you can't describe your innovation process or your innovation program without using the word innovation, you don't have one mm -hmm. because you have to be able to talk about what you're trying to accomplish, who you're trying to deliver it for, those sorts of things without just being able to say, oh, we have an innovation program for XYZ. Yes. Yeah. So important. Yes. And I'm glad you highlighted it earlier in the conversation around transparency and using the right words. So it's been a great conversation and I've learned a lot and my brain is pinging on all these different directions of things <laughs> to ask you. But before I let you go, I just want to make sure I ask if you have any advice for innovators. I guess my advice would be to read a book from Gifford <laughs> to prepare yourself <laughs> with the Ten Commandments because they are still very true. I think my other advice is to expect the reality to create networks that will help you to push things find sponsors in management and also do not forget if you see a fit within an organization for an idea and start to get this i think feeling for creating possibilities for your idea mm. be it to pitch it be it to adopt it be it to make it part of a very important program and to look for those opportunities because they are out there and if you find them you can make things way easier to push the idea through the door. Mm, such great advice. I'm going to take that away as well and try to apply that to my work as well. So thank you so much for that. Yours, it's been a great conversation. Yours, Hanson, innovation is evolution. Thank you so much. Your wealth of experience comes through in your examples. It comes through in your insights and your focus on actual execution and delivery of innovation versus just the front end. So Thank you so much for your time and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jared, for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yes, we'll have to keep in touch Joe, again sometime. Definitely we have. All right, take care. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to get more insights from innovators across the world. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional content and conversation. I hope to see you there. Until next time, keep innovating, whatever that means. <laughs>